0: We are going to move on in Romans 8, and we're going to be in, um, go ahead and open that to your Bibles. We're going to be starting out in verse 31 today. And hopefully, I don't know if you guys have been tracking with us through Romans, but the last uh, couple sections, especially Romans 8, are very, they have been very encouraging. Um, we've seen Paul so far uh, give us a reason why we don't have to worry about our past mistakes. As in verse one, he told us there's no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ. You know, we mess up. Yep, he spent the first seven chapters telling us that. But because of Christ and because our sins have been paid for in full at the cross, you know, when we sin, we can repent knowing that we're forgiven. We can go to God and we can ask for him to help us live in that freedom of sin that he's already won us And know that we're completely forgiven. He doesn't condemn us. So therefore, we don't have to worry about our past. Last week, we went through verses 18 through 30, and we saw Paul give us four reasons why we don't have to worry about the present, no matter what hard things we might be facing, no matter what trials we have going on. We have these assurances, these promises by God that give us hope or a sure expectation of good. And this week, we're gonna see him give us reasons why we don't have to worry about our future, Because again, whenever we see adversity kind of on the horizon, it can cause us to be fearful. It can cause us to be anxious. But God has given us reasons in his word that we can be confident that everything is going to work out okay. So we don't have to be worried. We don't have to be fearful. So that's where we're going to pick it up in chapter 8. Let me go ahead and read this text. And then we will pray and start going through it verse by verse. So it says in verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes. It doesn't even need to be expounded even though I'm going to do it. But (laughs) Lord God, such good news. Father, such good news in this precious chapter of your word, Lord. And Father, we know that this is meant to be an encouragement to us. So many discouraging things can seem to be happening in our lives and around us and your desire is for us to be encouraged in you and who we are in christ and the promises you've given us through christ that are completely dependent on the work he's already done at the cross promises we never have to doubt lord that we can confidently hope in so father really ministered these to us. Maybe we've heard this a million times, but for whatever reason, we're not believing it. And today's the day that it really sinks into our hearts. We leave here with that confident hope in you, and what you've told us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're really established in Romans 8, Paul's told us that part of, you know, we're heirs with Christ, we're children of God, and part of that inheritance as heirs that we share in is not only the, the glory and the blessings, but it's also sharing in Christ's sufferings. Basically, because we live in this world, we go through the same things Christ went through when he lived in this world, all right? That's normal, that's something to be expected. But no matter how hard something is, we're giving all the, we're being given all these reasons by Paul, or by God through Paul, through his word, to be hopeful in the hardest of situations. And today we're going to continue to have three, see, Paul give us three reasons that God gives us in his word to be hopeful or have confident expectation that everything's going to be all right, no matter what hard thing you're, you're facing, that, that you're seeing out there in the future, okay? And the first reason that I want you to note that through your faith in Jesus, you can't lose, Okay? Through your faith in Jesus, you can't lose. Paul goes on to say in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, even though God has every reason to be against us because of our sin, Paul has told us here in Romans in these first eight chapters that that is not the case. As Paul has explained in detail through what we've read so far, that God has gone gone to very great lengths to save us from the judgment and death our sin deserves and to save us or equip us to live in victory over sin itself. And in reflecting on the amazing mercy and grace that has been shown to us, that Paul shared with us in the first eight chapters, he's left here in verse 31 speechless. Like, I, I, like he, he doesn't know what to say other than coming to the conclusion that God is most certainly for us. Those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus. And hopefully if you've come you've read this before, you've been coming to the studies and you've been hearing these these promises and you've you've heard of all God's done for you despite your sinfulness, you believe that same conclusion. Because in our flesh, it can be difficult, right? We understand how bad we've messed up. We understand that we still mess up. And because of that in our flesh, it doesn't wanna believe that God is on our side, that God is for us. But that is what God has said himself. I like what theologian William Newell had to say about this. He says, our weak hearts, prone to legalism and unbelief, receive these words with great difficulty. God is for us. They have failed him, but he is for them. They are ignorant, but he is for them. They have not yet brought forth much fruit, but he is for them. God is for you. It makes all the difference in the world in us having the correct perspective on how to view any situation in our life, especially hard ones, if we truly believe God is for me in this. He's not against me. And that's what God says through Paul here. Now, I do want you to note the if in verse 31 because God is not just for anyone. He's for those of us that have been reconciled to him and made right with him because our sins have been forgiven through faith in his son and what he did for us on the cross, all right? Because there's a whole lot of people in this world that misrepresent God or aren't following the right after God that think God's for them. Hamas, other terrorist organizations that follow false religions, think God is for them in the horrible atrocities that they commit. But just because somebody said is God for them or that they're serving God does not mean they are actually serving God and that God is with them. As God can only be for you or for us if we've been reconciled to him through faith in his one and only son because only Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him, All right? But since that we who are in Jesus can be 100% absolutely sure that God is in fact for us, Paul, in response to this truth, asks the rhetorical question in verse 32, who can be against us then? And this isn't saying that people won't come against you in this life or that sometimes circumstances in life will seem like they're against you as they most certainly will. But what it is saying is that if God is for you, what does it really matter if others aren't, or if other circumstances don't seem to be that way? Is having God on your side means that you truly cannot be defeated? Whether it seems that way in the worldly perspective or not, you can't be defeated in a way that really matters. You see, we often struggle with feelings of depression and anxiety because we worry that something bad is going to happen to us. And if we are worried about something bad happening to us, it's ultimately coming from a place of doubting that God is really for us, like it says here. And this often is caused by thinking that we deserve some sort of punishment because of our failure to be perfectly righteous or because of the ways we've messed up in life. But what John tells you and me in 1 John four eighteen is that Such love, and this is the love God has demonstrated for you through letting his son die on the cross to pay the price for your sins. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear or takes a reason, all the reason away to be fearful. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced or fully come to understand his perfect love. You see, Our sin deserved punishment. And so when we mess up, we're fearful in some sense or another that we're going to be punished. Something bad's going to happen to us. But since Jesus took all the punishment our sin deserved on the cross, God can truly look at us as already perfect in Jesus, as we previously discussed. And therefore, there's no punishment to be had for you anymore in Christ. That is an absolute. And because of that, we have no reason to be fearful in any adversity we face, but rather can be have 100% faith in knowing that God is for us in any given situation. As we learned last week in verse 28, he's working all things for good. Not all things are good, like I said last week, but he's working all things for your good. And you don't have to doubt that, even if it doesn't appear in our limited understanding that that is how things are going, one day we will always see that proved to be true. And God has already given us all the proof we should need that he is for us, as Paul goes on to tell us in verse 32, because he says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? When it comes time for Christmas, we get multiple gifts for our kids. And we always save the best gift for last. And there's, how many of you guys do that? Anyone else do that? You have that big gift. Sometimes you hide it because you know they know what it is, so you don't want them to see it till the very end. But the reason we do that is because if you give them the greatest gift first, they might be disappointed at all the lesser gifts, gifts, because they'll just pale in comparison to that great, that thing that they really want, that thing that you gave them, right? Well, here's the difference with our salvation. God gave you the greatest gift he could first and foremost so that anything he did for you after the fact would pale in comparison, or so that you could have confidence in knowing that if he was willing to give you the ultimate gift in sacrificing his son so that your sins could be forgiven at a point when you didn't deserve anything from him, He most certainly is going to be willing to give you the lesser gifts involved with taking care of you daily, even in the midst, especially in the midst of anything hard that's going on in your life, now that you're perfect in his eyes. You never have to question what's going on, no matter how bad it might seem, because anything God seemingly takes or withholds from us cannot even come close to comparing everything that you have gained through him giving you the greatest gift of his son, Jesus. God has already given you the best thing you could ever receive in giving you his son. And surely if he's given you the greatest gift, he won't withhold anything else that he knows is good for you in life. The psalmist tells us this in Psalm eighty four eleven. He says, for the Lord God is our son in our shield. The sun being something that, that sustains life in this world, right? So he's the one that sustains us, provides provision, he takes care of us, and the shield is something he used to protect. So God's our sustainer and he's our protector. He goes on to say, he gives us grace or his favor, that's what he shows on you, and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. If it's good for you, God's gonna give it to you. Now, sometimes we don't do what's right and we bring unnecessary consequences upon ourselves, but that's not from God. That's why he tells us what to do and what not to do because he only wants good things for you. But if it's good, it's from God and he will not hold anything that he knows to be good for you. Now, the second reason that we can be hopeful of the future, no matter what difficulty we're facing, is that number two, Our status with God is secure. Our status with God is secure. As Paul goes on to say in verses 33 through 34, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Because you are in Christ, God's opinion of you is never going to change. And that opinion is that you are not guilty of any sin. And since God is the only judge that truly matters and has in fact declared you as justified or just as if you had no sin, then who is left to condemn you, as Paul says in verse 33? Now, obviously, this doesn't mean that people won't still try to condemn or be critical of you in life, but God will never be as your standing with him is secure in Christ. And how he sees you is what matters more so than anyone else in this world. Really, it's all that matters at the end of the day. And it is, in fact, Jesus himself who is at the right hand of God, the Father, right now in heaven, that is interceding for us, or that defends us, as Paul says in verse 34, against anyone that would try to condemn you. The Bible telling us in Revelation twelve ten that Satan himself brings accusations against you to God day and night. But when he goes to God and says, look at Chris's sin, God says, I don't know what you're talking about. All I see is my son. That's what he does for every single one of us. When I see my kids through the lens of the unconditional love that I have for them, I only think good thoughts about them. And what I mean by that is that even when they mess up, it doesn't change the fact that I always only want good things for them. I'm always for them, I'm never against them. Now, there have been times, especially in athletics where It's been difficult for my boys because they've had teammates that were critical of them instead of being supportive. And I always try to be that encouraging voice by telling them the positive things that I see, the good things I see them doing and exhort them, just keep doing your best and try to block out the voices of the critics because at the end of the day, those opinions don't really matter. They don't affect, they don't have to affect you if you don't Allow them to. Well, your father in heaven sees you as perfect through the lens of his son. And at the end of the day, he only has positive things to say to you through his word that are meant to encourage you to just keep going. Keep doing your best to follow him. And even though surely you're gonna face critics in this world from time to time, the opinion that matters more so than anyone else's by a long shot is God's. And you can be absolutely confident and secure in how he feels about you. And I'm gonna tell you something, when we really live in that truth, it frees you from so much discouragement, And it's like self-condemnation and worry. This is a game changer in your life when you realize, okay, I'm good with God. I know how he feels. I'm right before him. And that's all that matters. I remember, and I've used this example before, but when I first started, when I was called to be a pastor and I first started teaching, I was so worried about what other people thought about me that it really made this the most miserable thing that I could imagine. I dreaded, I worried, I was fearful every time I came up here. And God had to teach me like something that I, I, I would say I believed in my head, but I didn't really believe it in my heart because I remember him ministering to me one day and saying, if it's really about my glory, because I would say that, oh God, I'm about your glory. I don't want any glory for myself, but I remember him Asking me the question, if it's about my glory, why does it matter what anyone else thinks about you? As long as you're glorifying me, as long as you're teaching my word right, as long as you're representing me right, what, what does it matter what they think about you? And for whatever reason, that's what it took. And all of a sudden, the thing that felt like death every time I came up here, all of a sudden brought life. It was the most exciting thing I could ever be doing. It was the thing I was looking forward to. Because that weight of worrying about what other people thought and said was gone. Because ultimately, I knew what God thought. I can be sure of that. I knew how he felt about me. And so this is one of those truths that we need to find our security in. So much confusion today in the world, especially with our youth. The world telling them, oh, find your, find your identity and your security and your your sexuality or your gender. Well, this gender doesn't work, so I'm gonna to go to this gender or in being an animal. What, all this weirdness and it's all from the enemy and it's, I'm not saying it to make joke because it's all from the enemy to get them to a place where they're miserable and because they, they're not gonna find their security in these things, they're gonna find their security in the God that loves them and made them perfect and made them wonderful and has these great plans for them And he's right there. That's the importance of the good news club. And anything else, ministering to our kids and introducing them to the one they can find their security and identity because despite what their friends think, despite what anyone else thinks, they can know God loves them. They can know God thinks the world of them and find security in that. Amen? Now the third reason, third and final reason we can be hopeful of the future, no matter what trial we're in, is that God's love for us is never ending. God's love for us is never ending. Paul goes on to say in verses 35 through 39: Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, the idea of being too poor to buy any clothing, or danger, or sword, the idea being execution. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, or the ideas demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers like the powers of hell, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, one of the questions one might have after hearing all these benefits that God's given us in Christ that we can be confident in is especially the benefit of knowing that God's for you and not against you, as Paul told us in verse 31, is why do believers even have to go through hard things then, right? We probably all thought it at some point. I mean, if God's really on our side and he's sovereignly working all things for our good, why can't he just protect us from all the hard? And Paul goes on to list a bunch of those hard things that we can all face in verse 35. He quotes Psalm forty-four, eleven. 11 in verse 36 to show what it can feel like. Like, I feel like a sheep being led to the slaughter sometimes, right? And keep in mind that Paul's speaking from a place of experiencing almost all these things. He hadn't been executed yet. He was gonna experience that at the end of his life, but he's experienced these things. He's had to endure through these trials. And his conclusion as to why God allows us to go through the hard. We go through all these hard things he went through. His conclusion is, this is something he's come to know, God had taught him, is so that God can show those around us that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, as he says in verse 37, or that it's through the hard, that we so often face in our lives, that God's gonna be able to show just how much he loves you or that none of the hardships you are going through in your life will ever be able to separate you from the love of God, as he says in verse 39, as God personally leads you through them and he gives you the victory that he's already won you over them. Sometimes we forget that as followers, Of Jesus, we are called to be sheep rather than conquerors. See, someone whose aim is to conquer often comes out flexing their muscles and swinging when they're faced with some sort of adversity in their life, trying to win the victory, trying to overcome in their own power, which is quite the opposite of how a sheep reacts to adversity. Our goal as believers is never to try to conquer the hard in our lives, in our own power and understanding. And the reality is if you've tried to do that, you've probably experienced the frustration and disappointment that often comes with trying to overcome adversity in your own strength. And the results won't nearly be as great as they will be if we instead look to the Lord as our shepherd to guide us, through the adversity we so often face. And Psalm 23, if you haven't read it, is a perfect picture of what it looks like to instead go to our shepherd in the midst of difficulty and let him lead us through it. I'm gonna read through it here briefly because it gives us this perfect picture of what we're to do looking to Jesus to be our shepherd in the midst of hard things that we face in life. This being a psalm written by David when he was going through something very hard it says in verse 1 The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters Now as a sheep they need like fertile grass to eat that's the idea with green pastures and they need water and the idea of still waters is just like calm relaxing, like not like rushing water. like It would be easy for a sheep to be basically sustained in an environment like that. And so that's where the shepherd leads them when they let the shepherd lead them or be in control of their life. And ultimately, they have no wants. There's nothing they're in need of when they're letting the shepherd lead them. He goes on to say, he leads me besides soul waters. He restores my soul, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Sometimes our soul's in turmoil when we're facing hard things. But when we let the shepherd lead us, he leads us to paths of righteousness, or the right path, so that he can be glorified, so that we, for his name's sake, so we can see him in our life, so we can see Jesus, so others can see Jesus, and our souls are restored. That weariness, that brokenness, is fixed because we're relying on the shepherd instead of us in our own understanding. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, this being a trial that apparently had the potential to kill him, he says, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Note, the reason he wasn't fearful was because who was with him? The Lord. The Lord. The rod and staff being something a shepherd would carry. One of them was for protection, to fight off any animals that would want to kill the sheep. The other one was something to guide the sheep, to keep them on the right path. So for David, when he let the Lord be his shepherd, be the one leading him and guiding him and protecting him, says here he had nothing to fear goes on to say you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows he gives this picture of how when the lord was his shepherd when he was letting him lead him through this trial it was like he could relax as if he was at like a meal just having fellowship being blessed and enjoying himself because the shepherd had the situation under control. He goes on to say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When you let the shepherd lead you, you can confidently expect his goodness and his mercy or everlasting love to show in how he leads you. And that made David never want to leave him, to always be in this house. That's what it looks like to let the Lord lead us. Instead of being conquerors, we're called to be more than conquerors in verse 37. The big difference being that instead of trying to fight for victory yourself, we fight from the victory Jesus has really won over us. You see all these instances In scripture, where there's a battle in front of God's people and they do the right thing, they go to God instead of taking care of it himself. And what does God do? He says, we sang about it earlier in that song, the battle belongs to the Lord. Trust me, don't worry, don't be afraid. You're not even gonna have to lift a finger. I'm gonna go ahead of you. I'm gonna fight the battle. I'm gonna give you victory. Because we are in Christ, we are in fact guaranteed to overcome any hardship we face in this world from the moment you're saved to the moment you see Jesus face to face. And again, this is accomplished by us con- not conquering anything in our own power, but rather, number one, by the great power of God, his Holy Spirit giving you power to endure and persevere as he takes care of the situation for you, also, secondly, by the great motivation God's given you because he's given us all these promises to keep going forward, to keep trusting him and that in the heart, he's gonna use it to make you more like Jesus where you're better off and he's gonna show himself to others so that you have the opportunity to tell them about him and they can get saved and have the same hope as you. Thirdly, by this great victory that God's early promised us that assures us that nothing of any value can be taken from you in this life. You've already been given every spiritual blessing through Jesus, and nothing can change that. So even though it seems like, oh, I could lose this, and this this would be devastating, God says, no. You cannot lose anything of any eternal value. It may hurt for a second, but in the light of eternity, you're gonna get so much more, I promise you that. And fourthly, Another way we conquer is because this great love that God not only shows us in the midst of our hard things where we feel his closeness to us, he reveals himself to us, but also he shows that great love through us that can conquer and overcome the worst of our enemies and change them to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. Daniel 3, we see a great example of what it looks like to be more than conquerors Hopefully, you're familiar with the story. You can read it later. We don't really have time. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three followers of God, they're presented with this requirement to go worship this statue, worship this false idol, which was not allowed by God. And Nebuchadnezzar basically says, you're going to do this, or I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace, right? Right? And without putting up any sort of fight, they didn't try to conquer him in their own power, but they just said, no, we're not gonna disobey God's word. You can do what you want with us. Our God's able to save us if he wants? And even if he doesn't, doesn't really matter. We trust him. So they're thrown in the fire. And what very much appeared, they appeared to be like sheep being led to the slaughter instead of the slaughter. What happens is the people they're witnessing this get to see their savior and their shepherd. Because in the midst of that trial, Nebuchadnezzar not only gets to see God protect them from that fire and keeping them alive in the midst of it, but Nebuchadnezzar gets to see the Lord himself being in that fire with them. Daniel 3.25 tells us. Nebuchadnezzar basically saw firsthand that nothing, nothing could separate God's people from him and his love for them. And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you choose to trust God in the Word, in his word and what he's promised you in the midst of any hard you're going through, instead of trying to conquer it yourself, God will not only protect and deliver you as he sees you through the adversity, which isn't always gonna mean taking it away, all right? Understand that. But he will see you through, he will protect you, and he will glorify himself by showing his great love to you and to those that are watching. So like Nebuchadnezzar, they're only left saying, as he says in verse, starting in verse 28, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people... Whatever their race or nation of language speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Them letting God fight the battle for him, that's what it resulted in. Nobody watching could deny how real he was. Amen? Jesus is our example in his first coming in what we're called to be. We're not called to be conquerors. We're called to be sheep. Jesus did not come as a conquering king. He came as a lamb. A spotless lamb that willingly gave his life so that we could be saved. Now he is gonna come back in a second coming. And he is gonna set things right. He is gonna come and conquer. So don't worry about that. It will happen. Justice will be served. And only God knows when that time is right. But we're called to follow in Jesus' example. Remember, that it's, it's helpful to have this right thinking. The ship is going down. <laughs> I've used this analogy before. We're on the Titanic. The Bible tells us in Revelation that it's gonna burn. There's nothing we can do to save the ship our call is to save the people off the ship like we've been saved, all right? And we're not gonna do that by trying to conquer the world establishment, trying to conquer the government, trying to, no, those things are broken because they're run by people. There's nothing you can do to fix it. It's not to say we wanna pray for godly leaders and stuff like that, but you're not fixing things that are broken because of sin. We're called to be God's witnesses, to be submitted to the Father's will, just like Jesus was, and be used by him so that we can save people, amen? That's our goal, and nothing can separate you from the love of God in this life. As the worship team comes up here, I just couldn't help but think of how, you know, Romans 8, I think I've said it before, this has been called, this this book's been called The Antidote to Depression and Anxiety, Because really, when it comes down to it, if a person's dealing with those conditions, it's often due to one of the following reasons. Either A, they're haunted by their past, B, they're worried about their future, or C, they're weighed down by something going on in the present. And Paul addresses every single one of those situations in this chapter as he says, you don't gotta worry about your past because there's no condemnation in Christ. He also says, you don't have to worry about the present because there's no defeat in Jesus since God is working everything for your good. And today, as we've heard, you don't gotta worry about the future because no matter what happens, nothing will ever separate you from God's love. And when we truly come to believe those truths, when they're not just in our head, when we're living with those truths in our heart, in faith, we're left like Paul in Romans 8, 31, and all we can say is what do we say to these things? If God's for us, who can be against us? If God is for me, that's all that matters. That's why I can keep going. That's why I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna stay in the house of the Lord like David. I'm gonna follow him. I'm gonna let him be my shepherd. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna seek him and watch him show his love. I'm gonna seek him. I'm gonna, I'm gonna live in the victory he's already promised because I can't be beaten because of him. I'm going to live in the security of who he says I am. Doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Doesn't matter how many likes I have on social media. Doesn't matter. This is what God says. He's pleased with me. He calls me a friend. He says I'm his child. He says I was fearfully and wonderfully made. He says I have a purpose. And nothing can ever, nothing can separate me from his love. He's already demonstrated how much he's loved me. He loves me by giving his son. I have no reason to doubt it. We're coming into a time of thanksgiving, guys. God's given us so many reasons to be thankful. I encourage you guys just in this last week, this next week, take some time just to praise the Lord. Give him thanks. Maybe it's in your car, maybe it's in the shower, maybe it's early in the morning during your quiet time, but just be intentional, start praising God. Think of things to give him thanks for. Think of it for my spouse, think of it for my kids, think of it for my salvation, think of it for my job. Just and that list will keep growing and it'll change your attitude. You'll see God's goodness. You see you have every reason to be hopeful no matter what you might be facing. God will continue to show his goodness to you, amen? And maybe next week you wanna come back and share that with us during the times we have giving testimonies of things we're thankful for. So what we're gonna do right now, I'm gonna encourage you guys, we're gonna have communion open and you're gonna come up here during this song of praise that we're singing and, and help yourself to the communion elements. The cross is the reason we can absolutely be sure what in here is true for us, that we never have to doubt God's faithfulness because it's all dependent on what Jesus has already done, not what how you're doing. You might have messed up. You might have messed up this week. You might need to come before the Lord right now before you take communion, the, the bread that represents his body that was broken on that cross for you, where God's judgment and wrath for the sin we deserved was instead shown on Jesus, so that we could, the power of sin could be broken over us, so that we're no longer a slave to it, when we take that cup and we remember his blood that was spilled, the blood that was necessary of a perfect sacrifice to atone for all the sins or pay the price for every sin you've ever done, every sin you could ever do in full, when we remember these things, maybe we do have sin, maybe we did mess up and we need to come before God and just repent, say, Lord, I'm sorry. I know you paid for this, I know I'm forgiven, but I'm sorry and I need your help to walk in that new life, that power of the Holy Spirit that frees me from the bondage of my flesh that I I can't do it myself, I need you. I need you to be my shepherd and lead me into that right living. God's willing to answer that prayer, but you can do that in complete confidence that he's gonna hear you and answer. And then take those communion elements, acknowledging, man, Lord, I'm saved, I'm forgiven because of what you've done. And all these promises have been received because of what you've done, not because of me and how I'm doing. I couldn't save myself, I still can't save myself. I need you just as much as ever. But this is the reason why we can be absolutely sure of these things. And we can leave here in a confident hope, not a wishy-washy hope, not just hoping things like, I hope things work out good, 50-50 chance. No, 100% chance. 100% chance because God said it, amen? And praise the Lord with everything you got because he's worthy of it. We'll have our prayer team around the room if you wanna come up for prayer. If you're somebody in here that has not placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, like I said, there's an if in here. The only way you can be reconciled to God, made right with God, who is perfect and demands you to be perfect, to have a relationship with him, is through faith in his son who died on the cross so your sins could be forgiven and that that you could be seen as perfect in God's eyes. You are a work in progress, we all are, but that work as we talked about last week will be completed when we're with Jesus. We're a continual work in progress, but as far as God, he sees his son in you when you receive him as your Lord and savior. And because of that, God considers you perfect and you have a relationship with your creator You can talk to him about anything and everything, rely on him, look to him to lead you, to be your shepherd, to protect you. Everything you need will be found in Jesus Christ. If you came here not knowing him today, you can leave here with him as your Lord and Savior just by simply asking. And if you don't know how to do that, come up and get prayer, we'll lead you in a prayer. Lord God, thank you so much for all you've done for us. Thank you for these promises. Thank you for this great hope that you've given us. You have given us so much to be thankful for, Lord, and we come here today to praise you, to take communion and be reminded of this great sacrifice that has allowed for these promises to be made and kept in our lives. We are forever grateful, Lord. I pray, especially now, for anyone that's struggling with discouragement or anxiousness or depression, these are things that are not of you, they are of the enemy, they are of our flesh, and you have saved us to live in the freedom of those things, to sit, live with joy, to live with peace, to live with hope. And Lord, would you just minister to us right now so that we're reminded of all your past faithfulness so that we have a present trust and we can leave here living the life that you intend in in, in, in In those things, not in the incorrect things, Lord. You know what we need to hear. You know what we need to be reminded of. So minister to us right now. In Jesus' name, amen.